0: In case I haven't talked to you yet, Nick is who I am. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, if you're thinking I'm brand new to the church, I just calculated I haven't been here for four months, actually. So I understand. So if you've joined fellowship in the last four months, which is very reasonable and possible that that's happened for a big group of you, I'm Nick. I've been here a couple years now. I'm one of the pastors here, and I've been helping out at the Weaverville campus. So we've been doing that since March the 10th, and it's going fantastic. Um, One of my favorite things about that campus is just we've been our whole mantra, our whole thing has been empowering people to be the priesthood of Christ. And so Hebrews teaches us that, that we are a royal priesthood. And so one of the things we've really been doing is just empowering people just like you. In fact, some of you, including at this campus, just empower you to be the royal priesthood. You are a follower of Jesus, therefore you are filled with his holy spirit and he gives you gifts and talents to use to build up the church so often we think the church is about professional christians it's the paid pastors that do the work but really that's not the truth at all it's about people like you that if you are a follower of jesus you're filled with his holy spirit and given gifts and talents to use and i love that about the church i absolutely love that you go in to your various places of work, various places of play, and all these different places, taking the gospel of Christ with you just as a priesthood of Jesus Christ. So powerful. So um, that's one thing happening up there, happening here. One other thing, a unique Weaverville experience, is we have like a billion kids up there. I'm not kidding. It's ridiculous the number of young kids we have up there. So fun. Um, to see them, but that's just one of those unique things going on, and so I love that we're teaching kids about Jesus. Again, I've repeated this dozens of times in the past, but most people come to faith before they turn 14, and so we love that we get that opportunity. So today, I get to preach with you, or we get to look at the text together today, so turn to James chapter 4, if you will. We're just continuing the series of James wholehearted, and the whole idea has been most of us have this feeling most of us have this sense of something's not quite right now we don't always feel it as um prevalent it's not always as pressing sometimes we're good to ignore it sometimes we go through these seasons of of contentment or these seasons of peace but most of us at some point have felt this feeling and it may not be big But it's something's not quite right. We have a hole within our hearts. And we know that the answer, we know as as followers of Jesus, that the answer is always Jesus, right? So we know fill that hole with Jesus, but that's easier said than done. And so this whole teaching in James has been all about wholehearted. We don't want to have holes in our hearts, but be wholehearted following jesus christ so that's one of those things we're going to talk about today so i was thinking about this i was thinking how do we launch it because this text gets heavy today it's 10 verses but it comes fast the first um five are about sin the first four about sin then we see this pivotal point and then basically the next four verses are about mourning and weeping so like guys this is going to be just one of those weeks that we're gonna we're gonna go through this But it ends really positively, and so I'm really looking forward to get to that. But I was thinking of this character in Scripture, this man we've learned about in Scripture and the Old Testament, who one day would be king. So let me give you this character sketch of this shepherd kid who was out tending his sheep, or his father's sheep at that time, and one day this prophet comes to town and says, we need to anoint God a boy who will be king, or we need to anoint the next king. So get your sons, line them up before me. So the father goes and gets his sons, not thinking that his youngest would even be considered to be king one day. He leaves him out to shepherd in the field. And so he lines up the sons and the prophet comes through and he just says, he's not here. So the dad realizes he left the boy in the field. Like how insignificant do you have to be for your father to leave you in the field shepherding he didn't think he would be king so this prophet comes says this is the one prays over him and anoints him to be king but he's still this young boy he's still a shepherd at this time well this is like back in the day when it was like tribal people and so the sons go off to war but the boy stays and shepherds the field so one day his father says take some cheese And if you're down there's cheese, yeah, there's cheese in the Bible. It's it's a weird, take some cheese to your brothers and feed them. And this is the story of of that giant where David, who we're talking about, David sees this giant mocking God's people and David says, wait a minute, I'm not going to let this happen. Like you're not going to mock God. He wasn't worried about his own pride. He wasn't worried about his brother's pride or the current king's pride. He just says, you're not going to mock God. And so he says, send me out to fight him. So the shepherd boy goes out and kills this giant. And it was in that point probably within his life that he learned to trust God. He learned take God at his word for what he says. So then we see his life and he grows to be king, he takes office, he takes the title of king, and he continues in the ways of believing what God has told him. And that's this mark of this significant faith. And really we look at his faith, David's faith, and we find it was really quite simple. He took God at his word for what he said he would do. So, then an interesting thing happens. God calls David, a man after my heart. So for God to compliment you, I don't know if you've ever been complimented by God before, but it happened to David. David was called a man after God's own heart. Incredible and powerful. Then David does something really just egregious and awful. So he's there one night. He's king. He's got really the world at his fingertips. He goes to the rooftop. He's looking out there at his property and everything that's under his kingdom and reign and dominion, he sees a woman he wants. She's married. Well, that's no problem for the king. So he takes care of her husband, sends him off to war, has him killed, and takes this new person as his wife. I say that really quickly, but just let that sink in, how awful that is. So this prophet comes to David. And says, you've done this thing, you've killed off the husband, you think you're king, you think you got away with it. She's now expecting a child. And you have sinned, you have sinned against God. The very God that you knew you could take at his word, you've sinned against him. You took your desires and your passions for this world, and rather than trusting God for them, you took it in your own hands to fulfill those things. And so as a result of this sin, your baby will die. So David does the very thing that you would do and I would do despite his terrible actions, despite the terrible consequences that the prophet told him was coming. He locked himself in a room and he cried out to God to save this child. He knew he had done wrong. He fell on his face before God. He mourned and he wept and he, he just poured himself out to God and for a week straight, he begged God to save this baby's life. Yet at the seventh day, He passed away, and this child died. And so we see there the gravity and the weight of our sin. And in this case, it was a very real and um, just very specific thing that took place. But I know as we think about stories in Scripture, as we read about these characters that God worked through and used We look at ourselves in these things, too, and I wonder if some of us are thinking about these things that we're nurturing. These things that rather than lean on God to provide for them, we're leaning on ourselves. Rather than cutting ourselves off from the strings of the things to this world, we're tying them tighter, thinking it'll bring us joy and contentment and peace. So that's the very thing we're going to talk about today in James chapter 4. So go ahead and turn to James chapter 4. The good news of that is David got that title, the man after God's own heart, post all of this stuff. So his adulterous relationship, the death of his child, the repentance. It was after that that God then called him a man after my own heart. And I love the message in that, that our sin does not disqualify us from the grace of God. So I wanted to ask you guys a question as we jump in today. You are, if you are a follower of Jesus, you've trusted him for your salvation, yet have you trusted him for your satisfaction? And that's the question I want us to repeatedly let ourselves ask and i know like if you're like me at some point today you're going to be like okay like, like right now you're feeling brave you're like okay i'm gonna let the holy spirit work i'm going to let god talk to me i'm going to be brave today but at some point today you may have the temptation like okay god that's enough you've dug too deep you've gone too far like that's like let's stop here And I just want to encourage you to be brave today, to let the Holy Spirit work in you today. If he has something to say to you, let's let him do that. But the question is this. um, You've turned to Christ for your salvation, yet have you turned to him for your satisfaction? So James 4. What causes quarrels? And remember, James is talking to the Jewish people, but not this like centralized group of Jews. He's talking to this group of Jewish people who had been dispersed over all the world. So he's writing this general letter to everybody and, say, and he's asking them, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Now, if you have kids, you've asked this question 50 times this last week. Why are you fighting? What could be wrong? The TV works. You've got the Wi-Fi password. Like, why are you fighting? And so, but James is asking them this very question. What is causing quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Now, I just need to pause, and we need to kind of dig into the layers of this. The first thing that we get to. And the first thing, I've already pointed this out. We as people, are we desire comfort, we desire pleasure, we desire nice things. Those things aren't always bad things. Those things aren't always sin. Those things are just things. And sometimes our problem is we often make good things God things. So we take the good gifts God wants to give us and we elevate them to a place of worship. And I, we've all been there. We've all done this. We've all experienced this before. But Repeatedly throughout scripture, what we're told is like, don't tie strings to the things of this world. Let them be what they they are. They're current things of enjoyment. They're temporary things of pleasure. Let them be what they are. Don't let them move into and transition to that place where it's dangerous for us. And so basically what James is telling them is like, why are you fighting? Why are you quarreling? It's because you're desiring those things above other things, above the God things. You're desiring the good things above the God things. You're trusting me for your salvation, but not your satisfaction. And let me tell you this: the gifts God wants to give you, if you begin to pursue them from God or apart from God, it just never works out right. Now, let me repeat that. I believe for a majority of people he wants us to find a spouse, to find a partner that make that we enjoy that we partner with in life, you know the metaphor in Bible is the two become one. I believe for a majority of people that's true. And at some point in your life God's going to begin to stir that and give you that good gift. And that's going to be great and that's in his timing and that's going to be absolutely perfect. But we've all seen what happens when we start to pursue that before it's God's timing. We start trying to force things. We take a square peg and round hole. We've all seen different people's relationships. You're like, you guys just aren't a good fit. Why are you forcing it? And it's so easy for us to see it from that, but not for us to see it when we're experiencing it. That's a small thing of these other things. God often wants to wants to give us good gifts, but we rush it. We force it. We get the timing out of order. We want these things. Maybe he's saying, yes, maybe down the road, but not today. And so we force it. So we get within us this feeling of quarreling, of discontentment, and fights. And then it says this in verse 2. You desire and do not have, so you murder. Now, don't raise your hand, but when have you last wanted something so bad that you killed someone for it? I shouldn't joke. There might be... So there's two things that could happen here. I wonder if he's saying, like, I've never killed anybody because I've wanted something. I hope not, but maybe. But I wonder if he's writing to the Jewish people of this time who have moved to these different places, to these different countries. They're actually trying to conquer people. Like driving people from where they used to live so they can take houses that they didn't have cars back then, but they're they're literally driving people away to take their crops. So they Jews very well may be killing people to obtain what they cannot have. To obtain what God obviously doesn't want for them. But also, we know that this is talking about this. Now don't again, don't raise your hands because this would be awkward. But have you ever thought if she wasn't here? Th- And it would be, if she wasn't here, then I would be the prettiest person in this room. If he wasn't here, then it'd be me who's the most powerful person in this room. If he wasn't here, then my friends would be paying attention to me. If he wasn't here, she wasn't here, I would have won the Super Smash Brothers tournament last weekend. (laughs) We ask, we often look if, uh, we look at other people's lives and we say if they weren't here, then I could be the supervisor or I'd be the top performing person in my job. Or I'd have the nicest yard on the block. Whatever that thing is that really matters to you, it could be relationships, or looks, or things, or accomplishments, or achievements, or jobs. But we, what we've looked at other people and said if they weren't here, then it'd be me in the spotlight. And that's what he's talking about here. Do you, you desire and don't have, so you. Mm, like if you wish they weren't here like that's I'm not gonna say it's the same thing but that's what it does to our hearts and so I wrote this list of things that we compare like how often do we get caught in the comparison trap we look at other people's lives and we look what they have and we look like at all the stuff I have a friend he's here today I went to pick my kid up last week from youth group and this jeep rolls up and I love jeeps um and, and Jeeps are terrible for kids. Like, and I have three kids, so the Jeep had to go. I used to have one. But uh, he rolls up in this Jeep, and it's lifted. It's probably on, like, 35s. And if you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and um, it's got, a, like, a gas can on the back, which is super legit. It's got this... I mean, it just... <laughs> winch like he he has a winch on the front like again if you know if you know jeeps you know what I'm this jeep is everything you would ever want to take out on the trail in fact I made sure I checked my phone like in case I get stuck he's coming to get me like I did that I saw this jeep and I said man I really want that jeep and um so this happens to me too you look and you know there's this line that they could cross like I really want his jeep but we look at other people's lives, and you know what's crazy? I don't live his life. I don't have his job. I don't know how, how hard he works. I don't know what he did to be able to afford that. I don't know the price that he paid. So I look at his life, and I can't envy that. I can't say that. And just the same thing with everything else. We look at people's houses or relationships or their well-behaved kids, and we envy them. But we don't know what they did. We don't know what their life is like. We don't, it's not even fair. And so we often get caught in this trap of comparison. And that's just what our world has kind of reduced us to. And James is just saying like it's causing these connections in you to the things of this world that just aren't good, that are literally like rotting your soul. And I thought it was really funny that never do we find ourselves jealous of someone's spiritual life. I've seen her read the Bible, and I'm really jealous. I really envy that. I've seen him give away half of his income. I wish I could be like, like, we never get jealous like that, do we? It's always these other material things. And so um, it says in verse 3, and then it's then it's like it's, it begins to talk about prayer. He goes, "You ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions, you adulterous, uh, you adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So." I like pets. We have in just my house a dog, two cats, a goldfish. My wife wants more cats, but we can't be those type of people. Um, <laughs> lots of chickens. I think I have 18 chickens. I'm not even sure because we lose count at some point. But anyway, I like pets. I was at a party, or I was at um, actually eating tacos at the other day at White Duck, on the river, and this lady had her dog with her. And I love my dog. He's a 130-pound beast, as gentle as he can be, but we just don't take him out. So this lady has her dog with him, and she keeps telling people, yeah, he's friendly, but the dog keeps growling at people. (laughs) And I'm like... I don't think he's friendly. And so I'm just eating my tacos and I'm just like watching this because it's kind of comical, and he's not like attacking people, that'd be too far. But but isn't it funny that we're so biased towards our pets? Like she's like swearing, yeah, he's friendly. And I'm like, Miss, your dog is not friendly. But but she saw him as friendly, probably because he's never actually growled at her. I don't know. But anyway, we're always really biased towards our pets. And so one time I was at Carrier Park running and This dog trots up beside me, which is not a strange thing in Asheville for a random dog to be running beside you. And I look down, and I'm like, that's a big dog. I look down again and realize the dog was up to here on me. And and I'm not exaggerating this. And I look down again, and I'm like, that's a wolf. And there was a pet wolf running beside me. And I look, I stopped because, like, that's what prey does when it's being hunted, you know. <laughs> and um, I stopped, and it's sure enough, a leash and a guy are behind me. And like, this guy just let his wolf, and he's like, "It's okay, he he's friendly." I said, "He's a wolf, <laughs> like, like I'm sure he's friendly right now, but who knows what's going to happen in 30 seconds?" So, like things you don't have as pets, wolves. Um, another thing you don't have as pets, chimpanzees. Terrible idea, right? We've seen what's-her-name in Africa, like she learned all about the chimps. But you've heard, you've read the stories, people with chimpanzees as pets, they're friendly until they're not. And they do incredible damage. Um, one thing I love, I love foxes. Like They're really cute, right? You can't tame foxes. If, you, if someone wants to prove me wrong, there is a breed of foxes that's been bred for like hundreds of years that are kind of domesticated. But that's how wild foxes are. You just can't tame foxes. Like A fox is going to do what a fox does. Certain types of sn- 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 I don't even like saying the word snakes. Snakes. <laughs> You can't tame constrictors in particular. I heard this story once. This lady had a snake, a boa constrictor, or maybe it was a python. I don't know. They'll all kill you at that size. And um, <laughs> it roamed around the house and got to go wherever it wanted to go. Well, the snake started to want to sleep with this lady in the bed. And so she's like, yeah, sure. It's my pet snake. He's never been a, a problem. And um, the snake keeps getting bigger and bigger. And um, finally, it, and she's like, well, maybe it's just cold, you know, because that's what they do, and, and finally, someone told her, no, 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 he's sizing you up to eat you. Like, when the snake can lay beside you and be as long as you are, it knows it can then eat you and fit it in its body. Like, things you don't keep as pets. Those type of snakes. <laughs> and the final thing you can't keep as pets is your sin. And we do this. We have this thing that we do, and we know... It's uh, it's wild. We know it can't be tamed. We know it, it has the, the possibility or potential to destroy us. But like the dude with the wolf, he had convinced himself that it's tamed, that it was domesticated, that it wasn't this wild beast that has its own mind. And let me tell you, like, we think as Christians, we think we get good at making sin our pet but it just doesn't work that way we were in Florida one time at this swamp and they were talking about like a and there was it had a gator alligator you know 14 feet long and then they've got these little baby ones and someone asked this question well if you raise it from the beginning won't it listen to you when it gets bigger and she and the, her reply was just beautiful. She goes, "We love these things, we nurture them, we pour into them, we feed them. They wouldn't live without us. But they hit a certain size, and they're just going to kill you. Like they're just going to destroy you. They don't remember. They basically said, their brain's just not capable of feeling affi- affection towards you. And let me just tell you, like if you're one of these people." That's nurturing this sin within you. It's just growing and gotten bigger. And there's going to be a size where it's just going to kill you. And it's it's kind of a weird thing because we're the ones that have to nurture it. We're the ones that have to feed it. We're the ones that have to fuel it. But it doesn't love you. And it doesn't remember you. And it has no affection towards you. And I just think we have to talk about that. So let's get on to verse 5. So we've laid out the strings and the connections and the ties into the things of this world. And um, I don't even have time to read this, but in, if you want, write this down right there in verse 4 through 6. Write down 1 John two fifteen. That's worth reading this week as you think about what the Holy Spirit wants to teach you. Basically saying it's like, you're a friend of the world, you're just not a friend of God. The things of this world are just not friends of yours. It's just not going to work that way. And so we go on, and I love in verse six, it starts with the word, but, but he gives more grace. And um, so we go up, because goes, Do you not suppose that it is no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that is made to dwell within us? Basically saying, The Father wants a relationship with you, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, So he's saying, You're quarreling. You're fighting, you have this discontentment, you're a friend of sin, you're nurturing this thing that's going to grow up to kill you, you're on this path of destruction, but he gives more grace, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble person. And I think those are the two distinctions we're talking about. I've asked you this question repeatedly. You've trusted God for your salvation, but have you trusted him for your sanctification? And there's going to be two types of people that walk out of here today, just two people, two types of people. There's going to be the proud person today and humble person today. The proud person is going to walk out of here today and say, none of that applies to me. I don't need to trust in Jesus. I can be happy all by myself. God opposes you. And it, the scriptures actually tell us that's like a military term, that, that, that wording right there, God opposes you. Like he has set battle against you if you leave here today, a proud, a proud person, but there's a humble person. There's a person that's going to leave here to say, you know what? Yes, I have been on a trajectory of death, but I'm done with that today. I'm going to trust in God. I'm going to pray again for him to restore me, for him to continue to sanctify me. I'm going to trust him for my satisfaction. That's humbling yourselves before God. So that's what I'm going to talk about for the next few minutes as we start to wrap this up. But my desire for you, and I believe God's desire for you, is to leave that humble person today. Um, Because it says, and let me just read the last verse so we get to the good. Humble yourselves therefore before the Lord and he will exalt you. When God is exalting you, all those desires and and, and things that you're searching for to satisfy, all those things you're yearning for, that hole you feel that's preventing you from feeling like a whole person, God's going to take care of that. So let's get to this. This is like this is hard, you guys, right here. Seven, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Therefore, it's like, put God as more important than yourself. We're like, okay, so far, so good, God. I can do that. I've done that before. I can do that again. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Okay, this sounds like good news right here. We you know, we don't want to continue to be tempted. We don't have to want to continue to be dealing with this stuff. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Again, we're like, okay. Let's draw near to God. I, I like this. I like like we're going to seek out for him. We're going we're gonna to take some intentional time. We're going to read the scriptures. We're going to meet together with our friends and maybe talk about scripture. We're going to ask to be prayed for. We're going to be in the car instead of using that time to do the other things we do in the car. We're going to just let our thoughts dwell on the things of God. We're going to really cry out to him and ask him to draw near to us And so this is hopefully beginning to sound like something you can do. And then um, it says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded people. And I think hands is an interesting thing there because that's what we do. You know, we think of things, our heart is in a particular condition, no one, we can do, normally do a pretty good job from letting people know about that stuff. Like, has that ever happened to you? Someone walks in there and be are like, oh gosh, it's them again, but your face looks good, right? Like, that's just, that's just what we do. Like, we just don't want to be rude, but really within our thoughts, we're like, oh, well, they just go away. But so it's like, we, we can keep things within our hearts and our thoughts that no one has to know about. But our hands, the actions that thing worked out within us is going to be revealed. Things that we do, and so God is saying, "Draw near; He'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners." And I think it's so important that it just uses that word, "you sinners." It doesn't like, "Oh, He meant well," or like the people of good intention, or the people. You know, like the Bible's just always real clear about what we are without Jesus, and that's sinner. And I actually find that very refreshing. You know, sometimes it's just better to get the bad news out of the way, right? We're all sinners and we're fallen. And it says, purify your hearts, you double-minded people. And that's just a reminder. Our minds are always going to be in two places, the things of this world and the things of God. It's just something we're going to have to deal with. And so let me just, like, free you from, if you're, like, beating yourself up, why am I so Connected to these things of this world, like why do I want to watch TV and not read my Bible? Cause Stranger Things is on, y'all. Like you've got to binge watch. Like you've got to get that out of the way, you know. But like, why am I still connected? Um, I I, joking with my son. I'm going to tell everybody what happens, and that's last season of Stranger Things. But he he told me I couldn't do that. Bad news, they all die. That's what I told. There'll be no season four. Um, that didn't happen. Well, wait, maybe it. Maybe it did. Um, we're just always going to deal with that. Just who we are, made for heaven and relationship with God, here to share. The love of Jesus and the gospel. And he says, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned mourning and your joy to gloom. And I know that's not real joyful. But that's just that time where you come to face with your sin, face with your depravity. Say, God, I'm just nothing without you. It's not that I'm nothing. I'm just nothing without you. I'm, I'm a fallen person. I'm not really surprised when I sin and continue to sin. Because I'm made of the flesh. But something within me lives and dwells and is telling me I not only can trust you for my salvation but for my satisfaction as well. And so I'm faced with my sin and confronted but at the same time I read the hope of scripture that says if we submit ourselves to him Take, take our will. Begin to take our will. Shape our will. Bend our will to him. Let him work within us. That's what he's called us to. And so I just want to close with this thought as the worship team begins to come back up here. I just want us to leave today again. We've asked ourselves this question. I've, trust him for, I've trusted him with my salvation. Yet have I... Trusted him with my satisfaction. And there's all the things I talked about t- today. Um, your sin that you're dealing with, or maybe just your, your sense of contentment. I don't, I, I don't want to brush over this, but I think you know what to do. Like, like I think the scripture's been pretty clear. So, like, like, submit to God. Just tell him he's in charge of your life. Tell him you want to listen. Tell him you want to hear you want to respond. And let me tell you this. If you leave here with good intentions of a checklist of like 10 things I'm going to do to be a better person, you're not going to make it past Tuesday. It's just, you're just not. Willpower is just not that great. That's why we're always trying to lose weight. We're always trying to, like, like, that's just what, like, willpower is just not that great. But the Christian life is not about willpower. It's about surrendering to God. And that's as easy as praying. It's as easy as praying, God, I don't know what to pray or God, I don't even know what to do. I just know I want to surrender to you. We do have a prayer team here that wants to pray for you. I'll be over here if you want to come and pray. Anyone at all up front will pray for you and with you. The reason why I invite you to do this is sometimes we leave here with really good intentions. like I'm going to seek God this week and things like that. But telling another person, having them pray for you, there's power in that. And um, I just want to invite us all to do that. So, all right, I'm going to pray and the worship team will come up. Jesus. We love you and we thank you. Lord, we thank you that this text in particular is so abundantly clear about what we're supposed to do. Um, And so, God, it's not that it's complicated. We just know it's not going to be easy. So we just cry out to you, God. I know we have those in this room that are feeling your spirit work, feeling you nudge us and, and maybe pull us and call us to a certain response. God... Empower us to make that step toward you. And we remember what this text says. If you, we draw near to you, you'll draw near to us. And Lord, that's what we want. We want to know you're close. We want to surrender to you, to trust you, and to um, just be close to you, Lord, to feel you. Lord, we want to surrender ourselves to you. So we ask that we'll be able to do that today, that you'll just empower us to do that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.